Hey there, welcome to the Next Level Nutrition Biz Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie Long, business coach for nutritionists. I help nutritionists just like you create and launch their business and sign their first high-paying client. In this podcast, you'll learn practical strategies to start and grow your nutrition business that you can implement right away. You'll also hear from a ton of guests who have started their own thriving nutrition businesses and share what they've learned throughout their journey. Let's get started. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Really excited to have you here for today's episode. Now, I wanted to do an episode on something that I should have been talking about sooner, but you know, now is the time to address this. And it's all about what it's like to be a person of color or a black person in the wellness industry. Now, what I did was bring on my friend, Ryan Geiger, to talk all about her experience in being a black woman in the wellness industry. She herself is a dietitian, and what she shared with me was that less than 3% of people in the wellness industry are people of color. So we have a lot of work to do. You know, the majority of the wellness industry, a huge percentage being a white population of people. So it's up to us, you know, as that majority of white people to really amplify black voices or people of color in the wellness industry. And I wanted to really bring this topic to the podcast and get the conversation started. Now, Ryan herself is a vegan registered dietitian who is passionate about making the world a healthier place. She is the owner and founder of Phoenix Vegan Dietitian, where she helps others easily transition to a plant-based diet. She has many years of experience in vegan and vegetarian nutrition and believes in positively impacting the world one bite at a time. Now, not only do we talk about what it's like for her to be a black woman in the wellness industry, we also talk about what her experience in starting and growing her business was like. And it's a really great conversation and I can't wait to share it with you. Hey, Ryan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. I'm really excited to talk to you and learn from you. And what we're really going to talk about today is what it's like being a black woman or a woman of color in the wellness industry, specifically nutrition and the dietetics industry. Like, what is it like? So I'm really excited to have you on. And why don't you just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and also your nutrition business? Yes. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I am super excited to kind of have this conversation with you and to kind of just educate people and get everyone excited to be inclusive and excited about all the different things that are out there in the wellness space. But uh, my business is a vegan virtual nutrition business. I work with men and women who are looking to either transition to a more vegan slash plant-based lifestyle or people who are newer to the vegan lifestyle or the veg life, as I like to say, who just need a little bit of help finding meals and finding replacements for their animal products so that they can live a healthier life and so that they can live a more eco-friendly life. Kind of whatever type of impact they're looking to make, we just work together to create that for them. Mm, I love it. So like no matter if they're kind of doing it for um, an ethical standpoint or a health standpoint, like you'll work with them to just kind of optimize like the reasons that they want to go vegan. Yeah. So every time I get a new client, we, that's the first thing we talk about is like, why are you choosing to be vegan or why are you choosing to add more plants into your, your lifestyle? Just because we want to make sure that it's a 
a good reason, not just like, oh, I'm doing this because I don't like my aesthetic or I'm doing this because my friend's friend said it was a good idea. We want to make sure that it's a solid, there's a solid foundation to the reasoning behind wanting to make these changes and choices so that it can just grow instead of topple over and cause any additional problems or stressors later on. Mm. Yeah, I love that. I love that you focus on that because it's so true. Like, just like any, you know, quote unquote, diet out there or lifestyle choice like keto or paleo or vegan, like some of the some of the time these things can become trendy. And then people just hop on the trend because they heard like, Dr. Oz talk about it or something like that. And then you're totally right. Like, especially as being the practitioner that you are, you probably want people to get long term change, not just like do it for the fad diet, and then hop off of it and say it didn't work. Like you want them to have like, a real strong why um, to help them actually probably implement everything you're teaching them. Yeah, definitely long term changes that we're going for. I work with people for a minimum of three months because that's when people really start to see their changes and they start to feel more confident in their choices. And at that time, they can either decide to branch out on their own and give it a shot or they can choose something longer than three months, but always kind of working on where they're at in their current state of eating or current state of change to get them to where they want to be is really what we focus on. And working on that transition has been really beneficial to a lot of people. It's really fun. I always try to make food fun because a lot of times there's like rules around food or there's things you can do, things you can't do for this reason and that reason. So trying to make it fun and trying to make it something that people want to do because you can think it's a good idea, but if you don't want to do it, then it's really hard to actually get people to be interested and want to sign up and want to do things. Oh, yeah, that's so true. Um, I know even just like looking at your Instagram and following along, like you do make it really fun. Like you have the good visuals, like you're really interactive. So I'm, I'm really curious because I want to transition into talking about like how it was starting your business and kind of the progression to where your business is now. But like, why don't you take us back? Like, did it start out where you were, you know, doing vegan as your focus or even like creating really engaging social media content? Or was it a struggle for a while? Like, let's chat that out a little bit. Yeah, so I started doing this about two years ago, actually. And I was living in Dallas, Texas at the time. And I had just finished up my internship and moved to Texas. And it was really hard to find a dietitian job that I was interested in. They had a lot of like clinical positions and I was very anti-working in a hospital just because that's not something that was ever calling me. I didn't feel like I, I was making a big enough impact working there. I just, nothing about it was like calling to me. And that's the only type of jobs that I could find in Texas. So I had the idea that I could just kind of like create my own thing possibly. I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I could probably do it myself. Maybe. So (laughs) I got uh, my first client was my mom's friend. (laughs) Because I was telling my mom how I wanted to um, work on nutrition coaching or doing my own thing. And they weren't vegan. So um, my first few clients weren't vegan at all. And I didn't really know what I was doing exactly, but I was figuring it out. And um, at the time in Dallas, I was still looking for a nine to five job because I felt like that was something that I just like had to do. I felt like that was the right thing 
to, to do was to get a nine to five and then kind of just do private practice for fun. Or I didn't really know the potential or I didn't know what you could do with a private practice at that time. So I was still looking for a nine to five job working my little private practice consultation thing on the side. And I worked a a bunch of different odd jobs. So I worked at this local vegan meal prep company. I worked the front desk. I did some nutrition stuff for them, kind of just did all of the the odds and ends there. And then I worked at um, Lululemon for a little while uh, seasonally, just so like I had the extra income while I was still trying to figure everything out. And I worked for this little, this little like health thing. I don't know exactly what it was. It was very odd. I almost regret working there because it was this clinic per se. And it had, it was integrated. So it had a bunch of like therapists and um, chiropractors and they were just starting out with nutrition. And it was a very weird dynamic. I just didn't feel like I meshed very well there. I didn't have clients there. I had to bring my own clients in, which was kind of hard for me because I didn't know what I was doing at all. Like I wanted to have a private practice, I thought, but I didn't know how or I didn't know what I was doing. And so I just kind of jumped in and had no clue what I was doing. Mm-hmm. So looking back on it, I'm thinking like, if that was now, I probably would be really successful. But at the time I had no idea how to even run or take clients or chart on patients or I had no idea how to do any of that. So um, I did a bunch of different odd jobs while I was starting out my private practice, deciding if I wanted to to do this as like a full-time job or full-time gig instead of doing a nine-to-five. And fast forward to this year um, when I, I moved back to Arizona and I've always loved living in Arizona. I love the weather. Everything about it makes me super happy. And I have been channeling and honing into the things that make me happy, which are lots of different things. But specifically business-wise, working for myself is what makes me really happy. Mm -hmm. So I got back into the idea of, okay, maybe I can really like ramp this up and go for this private practice full-time. But I have a nine to five job here in Arizona because that's what I was thinking like, oh, okay, like to be an adult, you have to have a nine to five job. You have to do all of the things that we're told you have to do. You can't break the the mold or whatever it is. So I have a nine to five, but then I was thinking like, okay, my, my business really makes me super happy. All my clients that I see in my private practice are like my favorite thing. I love meeting with them. I love seeing their progress. I love helping them. They're so willing to learn everything about it. I just loved. And so I just decided to kind of jump into that and really, really try to make that something that I was really into and into manifesting this last year. So from Dallas to here, it's grown so much and I've learned so much on how how to run a business specifically. That was the hardest part. And like being more confident in my ability to run a business has increased so much in just manifesting and kind of believing that you can do it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I resonate with what you said so much because I also had all the like small jobs, some good, some bad, some wellness related, some not. And it was just like for a while there, I was like, 
you know, piecing together all these things to make, you know, something full time, right? Mm -hmm. I think that's a struggle at the beginning of like, do you jump right into doing like nutrition full time, seeing clients full time? Or do you need these side projects? And I think at the end of the day, like it just, it's so dependent on who you are as a person, probably what kind of support you have in your family, like if you're having to be the one to like bring in all the money, like it's just going to depend on like lifestyle and, and your family and things like that. So yeah, I just really resonate with what you said. But I'm also curious, like, when was that like, what kind of shifted in you to be like, actually, no, this is what I'm going to do full time, I'm just going to focus my energy on this versus trying to have all these like smaller little jobs like was it a confidence shift or can you like think back to what maybe changed yeah so my shift was when I uh, was I'm working my nine to five and my patients don't enjoy learning or they're they're not ready for that stage of change just quite yet they're there because of a doctor referral or because they had some major incident and they're just looking to have a quick fix like a bandage on it And I kept getting that over and over or so many people with uncontrolled diabetes, which um, at the community clinic where I work, it's sometimes related to their income or sometimes it's related to um, accessibility or lots of different factors go into the reasoning why their diabetes might be out of control or out of range. But it's really hard to kind of find all of the resources. And I'm really passionate about community nutrition, but I think just the way that it's kind of going about, I didn't feel as good as I did when I was working with my private clients. So every time I would see a a patient at my nine to five job, I would think like, did I impact them? Like, did they care? Were they interested? Are are they here? Like they fell asleep in my consultation. I'm confused. Like I don't understand. But in my private practice, everyone is always so inquisitive. They're like, okay, well, what about this? Or what do you think about this? Or how can I better myself in this way? Or how do I do that? They just have so many questions and they're there. Like they come see me because they're ready to learn. They're ready to make changes. They're like ready. They're motivated. And to me, that just really sparks my fire. That gets my passion going because I feel like, okay, I I can really help them because they're really ready versus my other patients. They're ready to make changes. They just have a lot of barriers and they're, they need a lot of assistance that doesn't just come from me. They need a lot of support from other physicians and other providers to get them to where they would be successful. Mm. So kind of what I hear you saying is like, being able to do, you know, focus on vegan nutrition and in private practice, it's like you in your zone of genius. It's like you doing what you've like been called to do. And it just feels maybe easier for you because not only are you more excited about it, like your clients are also more motivated and excited as well. Right. Yeah. Especially since I'm really passionate about vegan nutrition and I know a lot about it, I get to educate on that. And I'm, I always get so excited about anything vegan. So that also really helps the passion behind it. Cause I love it versus something that I don't really love. And I feel like life is too short to do something that I'm not 100% in love with. So trying to just live to my full potential of happiness versus like living to something that I feel like I have to be. 
Mm, oh, I love that. I feel like that's going to resonate with so many people. Even some of my own like private clients I can think of who, you know, know within them, they so badly want this and they feel like this is like their calling and because it makes them so happy. But then when our self-doubt comes in or our confidence gets kicked or we just start like doubting, like, can I actually do this? Like, can I see clients? Can I make money? Like that can derail us so much. So I love that idea of just like really looking at it as like life is short. Why not do the thing that you absolutely love? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think once I had that realization and it didn't come easily, but once I had the realization, I was like, oh my gosh, you're, you're right. Like, why are you doing something so many hours a day that makes you so incredibly unhappy when you don't know how many hours you have left? So why don't you spend those hours doing something that really gets you excited and really makes you feel happy and gets you jazzed up or something versus like dreading every single moment that you're living? Mm, yeah, that's like a good lesson for life right there, isn't it? <laughs> um Well, this is great. I think that like hearing your experience of like where you came from and then to where you are now is so helpful, especially for people just getting started. Because like I said before, it's like there's so much self-doubt and to hear somebody's story of like going through something similar, but then coming out the other side is just so, so helpful. But what I really want to dig into here is, you know, the idea, well, you are a black woman and, you know, with everything that's going on in the world right now, talking about Black Lives Matter and people of color. And I, I think the other layer of this being that, you know, the wellness space in general, you know, nutrition, wellness, anything wellness related is a very, you know, kind of like white culture. I don't really know how else to say it. And I'm probably going to mess up my words here. I'm going to try my absolute best. But I think that we have created this wellness culture to be very, very white. And you see a lot of influencers online who are white. Um, And I'm just curious, like for you being a black woman coming into this wellness space, like what was that like for you? And did that add like an extra layer of self-doubt or any kind of confidence issues because you came into a industry that was predominantly white? Yeah, I think that coming into a predominantly white profession because dietitians, there's only, um, I think like 2.9% of all dietitians are um, people of color and only like 1.9, I think, don't quote me on that. It's something really close to that are black dietitians. So it's a very, very, very low percentage. And I feel like kind of coming into that, I always try to not let that impact the way that I perform or I try my best to just give it my all and not let it impact me. But it definitely does because when you're sitting in a room and you're like the only black person, it's very odd. People kind of look at you differently and people think of you differently, especially on Instagram and especially with like the accessibility to different like resources and like different things. It's not as accessible to black people as it is white people. So I think that makes it really tough for it to be a fair game. So it's always like black people are a few steps behind every time that something happens. And so it's always like a type of inadequacy that people feel um, in that space and with Instagram. So when you think of like the Instagram, your feed or my feed, my feed looks very diverse, but like if you think of a white person's feed, it's super um, 
not diverse most times. And so going back to like the the muted day or whatever that they did on Instagram, I was so frustrated about the muted day because I'm from a small town in Indiana where literally everyone is white and they don't know a black person besides me or maybe one other person. So like two black people that they know. And so when you go on Instagram where when they go on Instagram, what do they see? Everyone has muted themselves because they only follow white people. So the, the point of that was like to amplify melanated voices. Well, the people who don't have those connections or people that don't have that diversity or people who don't have the, the resources or the knowledge to find those types of resources all they saw were black squares. So they didn't learn anything and they, they didn't have any place to go find those resources. Not saying that that's right of them to not know where to find resources, but I'm using my small town as an example. They don't know where to go to find anything. You have to like kind of tell them, hey, this is a really great resource. Go look at this. Or you're doing this wrong because they need to be told very directly that they're wrong and just kind of having that behind it helps them realize like, oh yeah, you're right. I am wrong versus just like posting something that's just something that they can scroll past. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I think we had talked a little bit about it when it was happening because I had a bit of an issue with it too. I'm like, this doesn't make much sense to me logistically. Like just exactly what you're saying. If we're trying to all mute ourselves, like how does that amplify like, I think amplification is more sharing what's out there and showcasing, you know, the diversity, you know, like you said, for people that might not have a diverse feed. So I was also just like, this is just weird to me. But I think it also boils down to when we talk about race and things like that, you know, people don't really maybe necessarily know what to do. So they just do nothing or they just do what everybody else is doing. And I think that that can be a little bit tough because this is something we need to like really ask ourselves, like, how do I want to show up in this space? And like, how do I want to share? Right. So I think that that was challenging for people, but really illuminating at the same time. And I think it just brought up again, just kind of going back to what we talked about before, like just that idea that like, you know, being, and I can only speak for myself, but being like a white person in the wellness industry is like, you don't really realize how, white focused it is and it's not really inclusive to people of color until it's like brought out into the open like look this is a very you know white industry like there's no other way to say it right so you know I really appreciate you sharing that it's it's probably weird for you and been hard for you to like be you know what the two percent or part of the two percent of people of color in the wellness industry that's just crazy actually the more that I think about the two percent like that is unbelievable and I guess kind of to steer the conversation like do you feel that you've been like at a disadvantage being a black woman in the industry like have you lost out on certain opportunities or have you been judged in certain ways or stereotyped or, or like racially stereotyped, like what has, what has gone on for you um, in this industry being a black woman? Yeah. in the specifically with nutrition and my race, I feel like people look at me differently when I walk into the room, like I'm not a dietitian that I'm like 
the lunch lady or like something, not that lunch ladies are bad, but they don't see me as having a credential or they don't see me being college educated or they don't see me as having um, some type of education. They, they don't see people of color as being educated. They see them as like people who are just like helping out or people who are just like doing different tasks. So I feel like when I walk into a patient's room, I have to be super nice. Not that I'm not nice, but I feel like I have to almost like be extra nice and smile more because I feel like they judge me because I, they feel like I don't know what I'm talking about. Or when they question me, sometimes I feel like I have to like give more evidence than I need to give behind what I'm saying, because I feel like they're judging what I'm saying because of what I look like. So trying to kind of balance that and doing complete patient care and balancing like the way that they're looking at me or the way that I feel like they're judging me or different things like that has an impact on the whole wellness space as a whole. And I think too, when people are posting about things, um, it's always good to be inclusive because if people are following you and you are saying like, we need to be inclusive and this is how to be inclusive and different things that can help people, then that shows them kind of how to do it because it's scary for people to try something new and they're scared of saying something wrong and they're scared of like, oh, what are people going to think if I say that? Like, oh, I said that wrong. I used the wrong terminology. Like, I'm just scared of what this is, what's going to happen. I feel like if people kind of just give it their best shot, people aren't going to be upset if you say, of course, not offensive, but if you're like trying to educate on something or you're sharing something and you use um, like woman of color versus POC, the difference in those, no one is going to be upset if someone is using those incorrectly. They might tell you like, oh, hey, this is actually how you use it. But thank you so much for posting that. That's really helpful to your viewers to know how to be more inclusive. No one's going to come at you like blazing, saying like, oh my goodness, you were wrong. Everyone is going to be like, thank you. And Mm -hmm. this is how you could change that. But thank you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And like, I'm even just sitting here reflecting, thinking like, I just feel really bad to have not ever been inclusive in it from the beginning. And I don't, how do I want to word this? I guess I never tried to not be inclusive. I just thought I was always being inclusive, but I can see now that that's wrong because by just thinking I'm being inclusive, that's not the same as being actively inclusive. (laughs) Does that make any sense what I'm saying? Yeah. Action is always one of the harder things because you don't think like, oh, I, I have white privilege. Like that's not something people think of until like someone points out and says like, you do this, this, and this. So that is your white privilege. Sometimes it's hard to kind of like self-reflect, but then noticing that that's something that you have and then using it for good and using it to um, be more inclusive or using it to have the knowledge of like, oh gosh, I do that and I, I need to make adjustments. So I feel like knowing that is the first step of like kind of breaking it down and being completely inclusive in an actionable way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. It's so true. And I think you're totally right where it's like removing the fear from it of like saying something wrong or doing something wrong. Just like we kind of have fear, you know, working with clients and saying the wrong thing or doing the wrong thing. It's like, you know, 
it's all a learning opportunity. Like we really just have to approach everything with, you know, how can I do better, be better and show up better um, or more inclusively next time. So I just think this is such an important conversation because it's not just about, I guess, it being inclusive. It's about um, amplifying people of color and black people in this industry. And I don't think it's been happening enough or I don't know if you've seen a change, like since everything's kind of been like coming out of the darkness, I guess, do you feel like black people and people of color have more opportunity now in the wellness space or there's like still so much work to be done? I think there's definitely a lot of work to be done. I think that people's eyes are just being opened and there's a lot of place to grow. So if it was like a puppy, their eyes are just opening and the puppy still has like a lot to grow before it becomes an adult dog. So I feel like we're just at like the eyes opening stage and then we're just going to have to keep continuing to have conversations, to continue to lobby, to continue to vote, to continue to make those positive changes. Because just saying something one time or just saying like, oh yeah, I care about that. But then doing nothing actionable towards that doesn't really do anything. That's like saying like, oh, it's raining outside. Like, okay, cool. What are you, are you going to go out and play in it? Are you going to get an umbrella? Are you going to the store? Are you not going to the store? Like, what are you going to do? So having that action to it is one of the most important pieces, I feel. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if we talk about action, like, can you share what, you know, a white person in the wellness space could maybe do to help amplify a person of color, a black woman in the industry? Like, maybe I kind of have like a double question here. Like, maybe what are we doing to not help? And what can we do to help moving forward? Yeah. And I think it would be doing the the same things that you do for like the, your white counterparts. So like, do you comment on their pictures? Do you like their pictures? Do you share their pictures? Okay. Why don't we do that for people of color, for black women? Are you following those people? Follow those people, share their content. They make really, really great stuff. And something that happens too in the wellness space with cultural diversity is that if you have a patient or a client who has a different culture than you, are you completely diminishing their cultural views by telling them what you believe is healthy? So if they have a specific cultural food that you don't think is quote unquote healthy, are you telling them to just completely eliminate that and taking away their culture from them by their food? So thinking like, okay, that's one of their cultural foods. They love that. That's something that they grew up with. And that's thinking of a cultural food for you, like how you would feel about that food. So how can you take their cultural food that they have and maybe make it healthier? Maybe they can eat it less often or something if it is super unhealthy, figuring out how they can still enjoy their cultural food and not take that away from them because of your your white privilege or your bias on that food. Mm, That's such a good point. I think that that's so important because we we are working with people that are from different cultures and different backgrounds. And if we're not taking into consideration like their experience, their lived experience, their cultural experience. um, And just like you said, just giving the recommendations based on what we think is best. We're totally disregarding 
all of their background and all of their culture. And I think it's probably happening a lot more than we realize. Like, I'm even thinking back to some of my clients, like, was I doing that? I'm not sure, you know, maybe I wasn't aware I was doing it. But you know, really sitting with it, I'm sure that I made some recommendations that were more self focused of here's what I think is good and right versus what's really right and best for you as a person. Um, So I think, yeah, this is just such a good point to like, start being really, you know, um, like eyes wide open, you know, every time you're working with a client and just being really open to their lived experience as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think too, when they're going through their diet history, having that thought in the back of your mind of like, okay, which of these foods might be cultural, or you could even ask them, like, if they're talking about some food that they really like, you'd be like, oh, can you tell me more about that food? And then they'll probably share with you why they like that food or what about that food gets them excited or how they prepare that food or maybe they made that with their great grandma or there's always something behind the foods that people eat. There's never just like, oh, I eat this just because people uh, have like emotions and have experiences around all types of foods. So having that piece of the puzzle to help with guiding your conversations and to help with your patients, I think is a crucial part because then you're not taking their culture and just like saying, forget it. You're taking that and all of their experiences and you're putting them all together so that it's a good balanced lifestyle for that person. So it's individualized. You're not giving them something that's a recommendation for everyone. You took what they like and you put it into a package for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And really at the end of the day, it's like, how do we look at someone holistically, like every sense of themselves, you know, lifestyle, you know, the food they're eating, their culture, everything. It's like, you know, not just what people are writing down on a piece of paper. It's like being really, um, I don't know if cognizant is the right word, but just being very like open to other people's experiences and remembering that even though we might've learned something one way, that doesn't mean that it's right for that person. And I think that this goes beyond talking just about race and color. And, you know, obviously that's a really big piece of this, but anytime we're working with a client in general, it's like, really remembering it's not about us. It has nothing to do with us. How can we help them amplify who they are and just support them no matter what they need? Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. So can you, like, I just kind of want to dream a little bit here with you. Um, You know, what would the wellness space or what would like ideally the wellness space look like to you? Like if you could change it or even just talk like future talk for a second, like, what do you want to see it look like now that we're kind of those puppies with our eyes open? You know, what kind of change do you want to see made? And what would it ideally look like for you moving forward? Yeah, I think that I would love to see more diversity. Um, And I know that's kind of broad. But if, again, if you think of like a lot of pages, it doesn't have any diversity. And it's like the food choices, they're, they're still good, but there's no diversity. And there's no like culture in it because I love learning about other people's culture. Like it doesn't even have to be my own. I would 100% love to learn about someone else's culture, the types of foods that they eat, the celebrations that they have. All of those different things are really fun and ways that we can celebrate all types of people. So in my little vision here, I see being able to kind of learn about the different cultures because if we are able to learn about them and kind of, celebrate with them, I feel like that will give us as a whole a more community sense so that we're not being super not inclusive on accident. 
so that we're like, oh yeah, I saw that this was happening and this is how they celebrate. This is super cool. Let me tell everyone about it or let me celebrate with my, my friends or we can have like a Zoom party and everyone has a celebration about it. So different things of like just cultural inclusivity of the interwebs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And that just means like, you know, for everybody doing the work and searching these things out, like probably even, you know, if you're going to do a partnership with a brand, like does that brand also celebrate diversity and are they inclusive? Do they also have people of color, you know, promoting their brands or are they, you know, do they have just like one way that they approach their business? Like, I think it's not just about us and our business, you know, it's about who we're connecting ourselves with as well, which is super important. And because it's like the whole chain reaction, right? We need to make sure we are um, being as inclusive as we can, but also moving forward, like who are we associating with and working with? And we need to like really stand up for what we believe in as well. Yeah, definitely looking at who the brands work with and looking at the brand's views that is super important to me because you never know what they stand for. And if it doesn't align with your values, I wouldn't take their money. So even if you really think that, oh my gosh, this would be such good exposure. I feel like if it doesn't align with your personal values, even if they're going to pay you something, you should go back and have a moral reflection of like, if I work with this brand, it doesn't align with my values. What is that doing for me in the long term besides just giving me quick cash? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like the more we can close the doors that don't work for us, the more hopefully the doors that, that are going to work for us are going to open. But it's up to us to like stand up and say, you know, this isn't the right opportunity for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, just feel really aligned with the ones that make the most sense. And at the end of the day, like, you know, it's up to us to change that 2% that you quoted, like, you know, 2% of people, again, maybe we should look up the stats to make sure I'm quoting it correctly, but, you know, around 2%, you know, of dietitians or of nutritionists in the industry being people of color or black, like that's not enough and that's not okay. But, you know, it's not just enough to say that that's not okay. Like how are we as an industry going to step up and, and change that? So everybody feels like they have a seat at the table. Like that's really up to us at the end of the day. Right. Yes. And there's lots of, I think for dietitians specifically, the cost to go to um, college and the cost to do an internship because most of the internships are unpaid. So being able to afford your life while you're not working a real, like a paying job and you're working 40 hours a week, but you're not getting paid for that for a whole year, figuring out like how can someone survive on that? Especially if you come from uh, lots of different living situations, like how can you afford to do that without taking out thousands of dollars in student loans? I think that is a big deterrent for people becoming dietitians. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. And just like you said, being a black woman, like you feel like you have to work double as hard. Right. So like at the end of the day, that's a lot of expectation to have to like show up, do your internship, you know probably be like overextending yourself just to feel like you have, you know, quote unquote, deserved a seat at the table. Like it's, it's pretty ridiculous at the end of the day. So yeah, I don't even know, like, I'm sure that's like a whole industry change that needs to happen, right. To give the accessibility to people who can't maybe potentially um, financially invest in a career in dietetics. Um, So I feel like that's 
like a pretty high up thing that needs to change. But I think even if we bring it back down to, okay, how can you at least support your clients who might be people of color or black people, or, you know, how can we, or people that maybe don't have the finances, like how can you even have a business model that supports uh, people being able to access, have your services accessible to them if they're not able to afford it? Mm -hmm. Uh, I just think that that's really important at the end of the day too. Yeah, definitely. And some people like doing like scholarships for different programs they have or even offering payment plans. So instead of offering pay all at once, maybe space it out so that if someone who really, really needs health changes and is really motivated to make health changes, but just can't do a whole lump sum of money at at one time, having that so they can space it out so that they can improve their health like they're really wanting to, but they just can't afford to do it all at once. So even that simple, small change to the model can help make it more accessible to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned scholarships. Like, do you think it would be good practice for everybody listening to have like a scholarship or a few scholarships set aside, maybe on like a quarterly basis or a yearly basis that says specifically like this is for people of color or a black person who can't afford, you know, or for any reason, like, that wants to um, have these services, but, you know, can't and have that scholarship there? Like, do you think that that is a good thing for people to implement? Um, I think it just depends on the, the model and the other practices that they put in place. So if they feel that's authentic to them, they could do that. They could offer scholarships. They could offer, um, like, even pre-sale or offer, I don't know, different things, however they felt it was most authentic. But just thinking back to the question of like, is this accessible to everyone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The way that they're creating their programs or they're creating their services, just kind of going back to that question. And for them, how do they feel like if the answer is no, how do they feel like they could adjust it to make it more accessible to people? Mm. Yeah, I love that. That can be just like a really easy way because I think we can get a little overwhelmed with like, where do I even start with this? Which, you know, starting somewhere by saying, you know, is this accessible to every single person out there? I think it's just like a powerful question. So that's a good place for everybody to start. I, I think just looking at what you're offering, your prices, like, can you add in, yeah, certain pay scale structures or some kind of accessibility? Um, yeah, that's, that's a great place to start. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you. This has been such a good conversation. I think you've really opened my eyes to certain ways that we can, you know, be more inclusive and show up for people more um, and have everybody feel like they are welcome in the wellness industry. I mean, like you said, and I want to echo it. There's so much work to be done, but uh, I really appreciate you um, offering your experience and, and your time to, you know, educate a lot of us on what we could be doing. Yeah. And I feel like if anyone has questions, there's lots of resources. So if you're looking to kind of learn more about the Black Lives Matter movement, or you're looking to learn more about culture, or you're looking to learn more about POC, there are tons of resources. And I know that some people aren't really willing to share, but you can go to my Instagram and look at who I'm following. And it's you can just scroll through who I'm following um, because it's not that incredibly too many. And then just find the people of color or the different resources that are just labeled there. So that's a really good place to look if you're looking to have more of that diversity on your feed. Oh, I love that. Why don't you share what your Instagram is so everyone can go in and follow you and find those resources? Yeah, my Instagram is at PHX Vegan Dietitian. 
Awesome. And why don't you just share a little bit about your um, new vegan meal plans um, so that everybody can, you know, either check into it for themselves or for their clients? Yeah. So I have a 12 week meal plan library. They're all vegan meal plans and they range from different topics. So some of them are like B12 boosting. So foods that are high in B12, some of them are um, for iron rich foods because these are nutrients that a lot of vegans have concerns about. And um, it just kind of varies between the 12 meal or 12 weeks of meal plans, what the topic is. And they're all available on my website. You just click purchase and it goes into your cart and you have the digital download and you're able to kind of flip through and have 12 weeks worth of plans with complete grocery lists and meal calendars. So then you don't feel lost or confused on what to eat throughout the week. Ooh, I love it. I, I don't know if I told you this, but I was vegan for a while. And that was always the thing was like, how am I going to get enough protein? Or how am I going to get enough iron? Like, not only was I asking myself, like every single person, you know, I'm sure you get that too, where people are like, how are you eating enough? You know, so I think that type of breaking the meal plans down in that way is just really helpful. So people feel like they're like kind of hitting every aspect and getting like, everything nutritionally that they could get. Yeah. So it's broken down, super, super easy to use. And um, it's, it's really pretty. It's a lot of fun to have those meals that aren't boring because I know it's easy to get stuck in a pattern of eating the same things over and over, especially with quarantine burning everyone out on their recipes that they have. So having something new and fresh is super helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, can you just tell your website? I don't think you mentioned that yet. Oh, yeah. It's www.phx vegandietitian.com and you'll click the tab that says vegan meal plans. Awesome. Sounds good. I'll make sure I link that for everybody too. So you guys can check out the show notes if you want to check out Ryan's meal plan, 12 week meal plans. And yeah, thank you again so much. This was awesome. And I've really enjoyed it. And thanks for taking the time to come on. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for listening in. If you like this episode, feel free to leave us a review, share the episode with a friend, or take us on social media. Catch you next time.